Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms, and I'm the founder of this podcast and movement known as the W2 Capitalist. Uh, today's episode, we're checking back in with Preston. He's the industrial salesman that I'm mentoring, and we get into a ton of stuff. Uh, Preston spent some time. I challenged him last time to get some clarity on how he wants to invest and what he wants to invest in. We talk about that a little bit, but mostly we get into calculating cash flows and how the different uh, variable and concrete expenses um, affect cash flow. And then we get into talking about tax D, tax lien uh, opportunities. And one of the things, and I couldn't remember this when we were recording it, but one of the things we got into was the um, yeah the adverse possession law, uh, which I know applies in Florida. But the big thing is when it comes to tax deed, tax lien, any kind of opportunity like that that you're looking for, the biggest thing you want to do is consult an attorney or the first thing you want to do is consult an attorney. Have them do a title search on the property so you know what kind of liens are potentially on the property, which ones of those are transferable, and then talk to them about what potential exit strategy strategies you can have. Um, it does adverse possession come into play here. How long do you have to hold the property until you gain clear title on it? All those sorts of things. The best person to walk you through that. And I try to explain this to, to Preston, but, um, as I mentioned here in the very beginning of this episode, I was a little sleep deprived and, uh, my words were not coming to me as quickly as they should as uh, the amount of coffee I'm sure I had to drink that day. So anyway, we will get right into it, but the biggest things today are, um, getting clarity on your investing criteria, understanding the difference between a tax deed and a tax lien and the potential uh, caveats to that. And then the third most important thing is talking to an attorney. If you don't have an attorney on your team yet, start that process today and to getting to know one. Okay, let's get to work. W2 Capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. man oh right flip side upside down <laughs> technology's working for you this morning Thank you, man. <laughs> how was everything busy man busy, yeah. busy busy same here same here i'm a little i'm a little sleep deprived as you can't tell from the bags under my eyes man you like a million bucks i couldn't tell <laughs> i feel like i got slapped in the face by a million bucks oh man that's not a bad thing no i wonder what that'd feel like Actually. Man, I hope to one day feel it. Got to feel good, right? <laughs> no matter how painful it is, it's got to feel good. <laughs> I, I, I'd probably let you slap me anywhere you wanted to. For me. <laughs> as long as I get to hold it, maybe a hundred grand of it, I'm, I'm pretty happy. That's funny. So, um, what's it been about a week since we talked? It's been a, it's been a week and a day. Week and a day. Look at you. Yeah, I man. I, I didn't. I didn't have the the the, the Thursday. Uh, somebody somebody beat me out of it, so I had to go Friday. Well, that's fine. I. I had to cancel yesterday's meeting anyway, so it worked out for you. So oh, how about that, man? <laughs> the universe. That's it. Yeah. Um, 
So last time we spoke and you sent me a message on, uh, I did, man. Facebook. so I want to dive into that. But last time we spoke eventually, well, last time we spoke, we talked about, um, you spend some time developing some investing criteria. Apparently a closed door don't mean anything anymore. <laughs> Fuck. Oh. oh man. So you had no. somebody just barge in your office and yes. uh, yeah, <laughs> I muted you. So I, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> um, but anyway, so last time we talked, we talked about coming up with investing criteria because, uh, you know, you and I have talked about potentially flipping, buying, hold, single family, multifamily. How's that process going? Uh, man, I did some, did some soul searching and on the, um, on the buy and hold, I've been talking with a friend of mine who owns two multifamily units as well. And, uh, man, I, I really, you know, for me to think I'm, I'm getting the most out of my time with it, I, I would like to see $400 a month. I know that's high. I know that might be on that sliding scale down there toward the lower income, but, um, man, I just feel like that's the number that I would feel like is worth dealing with the BS for me. Yeah. Um, and I know that's high cause everybody's like two fifty or 300. Well, man, I'm, you know, everybody, you know, you're on, I think you're kind of the same thing. Everybody's like, man, I want to buy and buy and hold for appreciation. Well, uh, not me. Um, yeah. Cash flow, you know, that's yeah. what I'll, I actively want cash flow to, be able to sleep late on a Friday morning if I want to. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to yeah. spend a month and a half working every single day. So, yeah. Um, I, I'm with you on that. I, I don't buy for appreciation. Uh, appreciation is just icing on the cake if it happens. Exactly. exactly. Um, it's, you know, so how do you, how are you calculating cash flow? What are all the, the variables that you put into that equation? Um, I know, I know. I haven't, I haven't thought that far in advance. Um, I know we will have some vacancy expenses. We'll have, um, some, you know, reserves put aside into the, into the, you know, I I would like to have a a vacancy reserve and a maintenance reserve Mm -hmm. um, for each property, whether it be a couple hundred bucks or just to just keep growing it until, you know, so that would be something I would put into that. So it would really have to, uh, it'd have to be a, crap old of a cash flow like that I know but um I'm all about reserves man. I'm yeah. all about reserves so to get that 400 um and I would like that to be net I know that's probably a little much but and it might not be I don't I don't know but two times um <laughs> but uh to get that I, I would I would think we would probably need to I lost my train of thought. Um, so we're, we're talking about cash flow, and I'll tell you how I calculate cash flow, and it incorporates reserves, right? And I've got a blog post out there. It may go may be better to reference because it actually gives an example. Um, uh, so a little plug for helmsrei.com is where I post my blog. So uh, it basically I call it the trim VC, right? Taxes. Uh, Talking about losing your train of thought. <laughs> uh, because uh, I'm I'm forgetting what the R stands for right now. I don't know why. Oh, repairs. That's easy. Ta- so taxes, repairs. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> that little thing. Uh, taxes, repairs, 
insurance, maintenance, you know, repairs and maintenance is usually the same thing. I was just trying to come up with an acronym that I could easily remember, but I'm struggling to remember this morning. And then the VC is probably the two most important things, right? That's vacancy and capital expenses. Um, or M. So define capital expenses. Capital expenses, uh, so I'll use tax EPA terms, right? So capital expenses are uh, big ticket items, right? So anything that's usually usually over two or three grand uh, to spend. And, you know, so that's going to be your HVAC systems, roofs. Um, you know, if you have to come in and do a major plumbing upgrade at some point in time, you know, I, I mentioned that because I've had to replace the uh, entire plumbing of, um, of a house before, not something I counted on doing, but, uh, I had a home inspection done when I first bought the property. It did not catch what type of, uh, piping was in the house. Um, so, I went and had hurricane, like in Florida, I know this doesn't apply for Alabama in, in Florida. If you have hurricane clips on your roofs, you get a major, uh, reduction in your wind mitigation, uh, meaning it, my insurance premium was cut by 40% when I did this. Now it cost me $900 to have them installed. And then my insurance premium went down from 1400 to 700, uh, just like that. So in two years that paid for itself. Right. So, um, I, so, but in order to get the new wind mitigation, you have to have a home inspection done. Well, now when the home inspection, I changed home inspectors. Um, this home inspector was a lot more thorough, which is something I wanted, right? So he grabs the report. We sent it to the insurance company and I said, Oh, you have, I think it's like polybutylene or something like that. Some sort of piping that is known to bust real easy. It wasn't used for long, but, um, I was like, okay, what do I do to fix it? And they're like, well, you got to replace it wherever it is. Well, for me, that was the entire house. So, you know, there's, it was like three grand that I was not planning on doing, but I had that money in reserves. Right. right. Those, that's what I would consider as a um, capital expense. So, so you would, you would put your, see, I would have put that in the repairs bucket. Um, so your bigger repairs, you are more or less capex. That'll be a separate and just like a yeah. And this is where your um, CPA is going to help with this. Is they'll you know they'll classify what should's going to give you what's going to give you the best tax advantage. I got you right? because I think you can only. And I'm not a CPA. There's, there's a reason why I outsource that stuff now. <laughs> uh, man, it was so it was so liberating to walk in their office uh, earlier this week. I'm a little late, but walked in their office. I had a packet full of papers. So, Here you go. You know, and I just yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, so they'll they'll because if it's a repair, there's certain restrictions and there's certain. Um, deductions if it's classified as a repair or if it's classified as a capital expense. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Cause I hear that term a lot, you know, CapEx in our business and lawyer capital projects and, um, in some sense, you know, so in, in corporate America, right, there's usually capital expense and then there's operating expense. Mm -hmm. Operating expense is usually anything that you have planned in the budget and that you've automatically, it's going to happen 
excuse me, uh, monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, annually, it's an expense that you expect is going to happen, right? It's already approved in the budget where capital expense comes along. More than likely, you're either going to go get a loan to pay it off if you don't have the reserves like we're talking about, mm-hmm. or you have to go in front of the board to get it approved, right? right. Something that came up that's like, oh, that's, and, it, and the way that in corporate America they do it, capital expenses are, depending on how their entity set up, will help in tax advantage situations too. So I got um, you. that's it. We're in my line of business. We try to get people from continuing to buy servers and on-premise hardware and stuff like that and convert it to the cloud. So it's a monthly subscription. So you don't have to go to the board to get that capital expense approval. You can just get them to approve this once. Hey, we're going to move our infrastructure to the cloud. We're going to subscribe to it. We're never going to own it. And it's an operating expense, right? So it's just part of the cloud, man. I was yeah. <laughs> brought up a funny memory, man. There was an old guy that works in one of our mills, and I kept talking about this cloud thing. And he said, "Present, how's everything get stored in the clouds? Where's it going?" <laughs> it just brought it. It's funny, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um. But that's how I calculate cash flow. Okay. And what I do is I have those capital reserve or have those reserves set up. So after you own a property and cause at first you're just estimating, right? What's going to be your vacancy expense? What's going to be your, cause you want to make sure that when you do all that, um, you're not running that you don't run into a situation where you're like, crap, where am I going to get the money to repair this? My reserve accounts have saved me numerous times uh, in replacing air conditioners, roofs, the plumbing. I mean, it's so what I do is when I. Hey, everybody, I want to take a break from the action real quick and point you over to Passive Real Estate Investor Academy. It's one of our affiliate sponsors for the show. Um, Annie Dickerson, who leads up the academy there. I've met her. I met her at a conference last year. I wanted to meet her because she is actually on uh, one of our posts, uh, 12 sites every financial freedom seeker should know about. Uh, The things that they're doing at Good Ag Investments, uh, I'm just amazed by. Uh, She had a very successful W-2 career, but also uh, I think it was last year, uh, 2018, she was able to pull her parachute cord and become a corporate dropout and focus on real estate investing full time. So, and by that, I mean her and her partner are now syndicating deals through their uh, corporation, Good Egg, Good Egg Investments. And what I'm most impressed by these these ladies, what they're doing is they closed, I think it was around 3,500 doors last year. Um, and now they're teaching, they've launched this course, Passive Real Estate Investor Academy, uh, to teach people what it really means to become a passive real estate investor and working with syndicators, whether you work with them or not, helps you understand what a passive real estate investor is all about. So check them out. We have a specific link for you. You can find it at helmsrei.com slash P-R-E-I-A. All right, let's get back to it. I didn't, when I first started out, I didn't start the reserve accounts with a bunch of money in them. Now, and, and the way I have this set up, so we'll get down to the weeds just a little bit. The way I have this set up is each property has its own trim VC account, right? So every month, well, I used to do it every month. Now it's every quarter. I'll take whatever uh, month or my property manager will take whatever money and put into those accounts so that 
when an event happens, like when taxes come due or insurance comes due, that money's there, right? right. I don't have to worry about where it's coming from. But on the reserves piece, uh, six months is what you want to factor in. That's your kind of cushion. That's what most banks, when you get into these multifamilies, uh, from medium to large, they're going to want to see six months of operating reserves just in case something comes up. Right. And so once you hit that six month mark of having that money in there, then I start taking the leftover money that I'd put into that account and put it into, uh, what I call our investment fund. Right. So, which is the money that we save for our next down payment. But yeah, it's so when you do it that way, it's hard to get to $400 a month per unit for cash flow. Now, you didn't say per unit, you just said $400. So, is that well, I would, on a single family unit? Um, yeah, that, that would be what I want, what I've always wanted, but I think that's after listening to that, it's probably, probably two fifty. Um, I think sounds reasonable. Um, well, the, the way you can increase your cash flow is you you um, increase your down payment. You you know you get your mortgage down, or um, you know you pay for it cash. You don't have a mortgage at all. Yeah, you you could do it that way. Um, right. The opposite side of that. So the other kind of. I would say, say pillar. I'm reading the 10 wealth right now, but the, the other pillar that we look at from investing criteria is a cash on cash return. Uh, ideally around 15% is what we target for because um, the stock market's around eight, you know, mm-hmm. given the same time period. Um, and I want to do better than that. Right. Um, I factor in 15 because I know something's going to come up that I didn't think about. That's probably going to drop it down to about 10 to 12. Um, so if I write it out on paper and it comes out at 15, then I know I'm good. Right. Um, but so how would you, how would you figure your 15% cash on cash? Um, I've heard people talk about it different ways. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, when he mentions that, he, he talks about what you actually have invested in the property. Yep. Also, I have so, a blog post about this too. Uh, but the way I do it is I use the the calculator on bigger pockets. Okay. It's basically, so the money that you put in to buy the property, uh, divided by the amount of cash received for the, that year. Right. So that's how kind of, Jeremy does it. Yeah. You want to compare, um, if you were to use that cash in any other investment vehicle, it gives you a, a pretty good uh, even playing field to see how that cash would operate in this investment vehicle versus another investment vehicle, like the stock market or buying a business or whatever. So, so the more money you put down on a property, the smaller your cash on cash return is going to be. Right. Plus money is pretty cheap right now right? To, to get a loan. I mean, you, you know, it's creeping up. I saw something uh, yesterday about um, the feds actually talking about reducing rates again. Um, you know, they kind of went in the other direction. So money's, money's still pretty cheap right now. Mm-hmm. And, and didn't higher interest rates, uh, that that greatly affects uh, the real estate market. I'm not oh, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. uh, if I remember, you know, I wasn't nowhere near an investment minded back in two thousand eight or nine. 
So that was kind of uh, what national debt. I had a huge playing point with the the market doing what it did. Was the interest rates were through the roof? I'm not not mistaken. Well, they so in 2008. Well, let me back up. So your your interest rates does affects your buying power, right? So let's just for easy math, you want to buy a property that's a hundred thousand dollars, and your interest rate is at six percent. Well, that means your monthly payment is going to be X, right? Uh, I'm not going to try to do that math right now. <laughs> but if your interest rate is at four percent, then instead of buying a hundred thousand dollars, you could probably buy a hundred thirty thousand dollar house. Right. It's rough numbers, by the way. So, and what was happening back in 2008 is, or leading up to the crash of 2008, is that people were buying houses with 0% down, meaning no money out of pocket with uh, very low interest rates for, and they were on an arm, right? And an arm is basically said, okay, you're going to be locked in. It's, it's adjustable rate mortgage, right? So you're going to be locked into the, this interest rate on a five-year arm. So let's just say you close on a property today and we are in 2019 and five years, we're going to adjust that mortgage rate to whatever the market allows in that five years. So if you rewind the clock to 2003, when a lot of people started buying these houses and, you know, zero money down, you know, probably 4% interest, 3% interest, whatever they're getting these loans for. And then, or sometimes 0% interest uh, for some time, you know, it's almost like a car dealership. I mean, very, so just, let's just sum it up as very low. Well, when those adjustable rate mortgages came due, uh, then those rates bumped up and those people couldn't afford those monthly payments anymore. Ah. Right. So they went instead of paying, you know, $500 a month. So seven, eight, nine hundred. Yeah. I got you. To increase more. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, you don't see a whole lot of arms, now, mm-hmm. except for in, it's very common in um, a commercial or multifamily, you know, anything five units and above is, is typically to have still a 25, possibly 30 year amortization with, but it's going to have some sort of arm on it, either five or seven, 10 years. Hmm. Well, um, man, I, I still, I did, uh, do have a property, uh, probably, probably going to do a, a scoop on, um, 4,500 bucks. Um, it's, it's, and it's not a complete crap hole. It's not, um, people like are working. Purchase is, price is $4,500? 4,500 bucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, I don't have a whole lot. I just learned about it, uh, like yesterday. Um, it's my fiance's grandmother's old house. And okay. The back taxes on it's forty five hundred bucks, and nobody in the family can afford to pay it. So, um, I don't know what other paperwork we got to do on that. Um, so, is it is it up for? Uh, is it a tax deed mm-hmm. auction type thing? Yeah. Well, the way it was expressed to me, and I don't know. Like I said, I ain't done my research on it, but she said you can go in there and pay the forty five hundred bucks and get the deed and land title in your name. Yeah. If it's a tax deed, that is correct. And I've done that before. Um, tax lien is a little bit different. 
right? And, and you have to – over in Alabama, I'm not really sure. I think there's – so there's there's tax deed, which what you just explained. If, if it is a tax deed, and sometimes they go to auction uh, by the local sheriff company – or company, by the local sheriff. <laughs> the local sheriff company. company. <laughs> <laughs> um, then um, that is correct. You know, it goes to auction. You pay the $4,500 uh, and the property is yours. Now, uh, you do need to check to make sure that there's no liens against the property. Because, because in a, this is where you need to get a, a lawyer involved to do a title search. Because if some liens transfer with a deed, some liens don't. So just you need to no, have, <laughs> have the um, have a lawyer run you a title search property. It'll cost you um, title search on the property. It'll cost you somewhere around hundred bucks. Uh, they should be able to get it back to you within a day or so, uh, and they should be able to tell you if there are any liens on the property or not. Because if there are liens on it, then you have to uh, some point satisfy those liens. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean pay out money to them. There's, there's, there's a ways around that. We can get into that later. Um, but talk to a lawyer about it. And then, but if it's a tax deed auction, then yeah, you pay the back taxes on it. Um, Oh, that's what we're talking about. Anyway, if you, if you buy the tax deed, then yes, it is. It, it will be yours free and clear with or without the potential liens on it. Tax liens are something different, right? So tax liens are, uh, Hey, this property hasn't paid its taxes, uh, in two years or they didn't pay them last year. So you pay those taxes for that property. Uh, now you're going to earn interest and I don't know what the interest rate is for the state of Alabama. I think it's somewhere around 18 or 19%. So you're going to earn interest on that money, uh, for as long as it takes somebody to pay those taxes. Now the owner has a certain amount of time and I, and this is what I don't know uh, for, for Alabama. I think it's three years. Uh, but again, when you talk to your lawyer, ask him those questions, Basically, they have three years to pay you back. If they don't pay you back, then the property is yours. So you have to hold it for three years. You can hold it, yeah. If you it's have a tax to hold lien. It okay, tax yeah. lien. Yeah, I got real confused about tax deed versus tax lien when I first started looking into this stuff. Well, my, my thoughts on that was, uh, I mean, 4500 bucks, uh, make it a, Section eight property, um, stab a section eight runner because it's in a not a war zone, but it's not somewhere you want to be. Um, it's not a bad where you want to live, right? Right. So, um, you know, put make it put it up for section eight, clean it up, and put a section eight runner in there. Um, I think that would that'd yep. be really awesome. Um, so and doing it that way, you you might get your uh, uh, Four or five hundred bucks, man. <laughs> I, I'd say that those opportunities, if you know, those opportunities don't come around often. But if if uh, if that is sounds as good as it seems, you know, I, I'd definitely check it out. But I, I, first thing I would do is do a title search on it. 
have a lawyer do a title search on it so they can pull, pull everything they need to do on it. Yeah. And there's a good chance it's got some liens against it. If I know who lived in it in the past. So okay. yeah. And yeah. some of those, some of those go away with the tax deed. Some of them don't. And then the other thing, um, you know, in Florida, there is something called quiet title, uh, that you can apply for. Um, there's also something called, um, oh man, what is that term? I forgot. I'm, I'm not going to be able to remember that, but basically, um, I'm going to have to really edit this piece cause I've paused so long. Basically what this means is if you in Florida, if you pay the taxes on a property for seven years, I'm getting into a couple of different things basically. Yeah. So on the quiet title piece, if you own a property for, I think in Florida, it's like three or four years. And again, consult a, a legal counsel, which I'm There's not. a disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you own a property for three to four years and no one comes forward saying, Hey, I own, you know, I have this lien against the property, then they no longer have the right to ask for that money. Right. Gotcha. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention too is in, in Florida and I forget what it's called, but basically if I pay taxes on a property for seven years, then legally that property is mine. So there's, there's a lot of different stuff when you get into tax liens. Gotcha. Best thing to do is talk to an attorney, <laughs> but on that property in general is, um, I would start with a title search cost you a hundred bucks to find out what liens are out there. And what, what, which ones may or may not transfer if you, uh, if you bought it. Yeah. That, that, that's T. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I can almost guarantee you there's probably going to be some kind of lean against it if I had to guess. Um, <clears throat> so see, paid for itself right, right there, man. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that <laughs> all that. No. Here I am thinking I'm, I'm getting a, a steal when I'm over here. Well, you still might be, you know, I, I would spend the hundred bucks and, and try it out. It, you know, at least, you know, if, if it comes up and, and there's, you know, 15 grand worth of liens against some property, Hey man, you, you only spent a hundred bucks, not 4,500. Right. And you got to learn the process, which is kind of an expensive class, but <laughs> it's a lot less expensive than buying it for 4,500 and then figuring out, well, crap, I owe this guy 15. No. So, um, it, you know, and even if there are liens against it, you know, just because you go and buy the property doesn't mean that you go out and, and satisfy those liens, right? right. It's up to, to my understanding is up to the lien holder to know if those properties are, um, change hands or whatnot. That's why, you know, if you wait that three or four years, um, and then you, then you, uh, apply for a quiet title, then you realize, Hey, I've owned this property for four years. There's nothing you can do. I'm applying for quiet title so I can get clear title so that if I want to sell this thing again, I can, right. right. Without any issues. Right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> a lot of legalese there, but Hey man, talk to an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick, man, because we're we're uh, 
over on time already, but what, what is this deal you got going on over here with your buddy, Jeremy? Man, um, I just, I, I walked to his office and said, dude, I said, have you ever thought about selling him? Cause he, he really wants to buy a business. So hmm. like, he is, that's just, I mean, he is smart as crap. He wants to do something on his own. So I said, man, if you ever thought about selling your apartment complex, um, let me know. Cause I, I got a guy that's called that might, you know, they, means multifamily investor he might be interested in getting that and he said yes i am um and that that's all that's as far as we got i was going to see if you were interested before i decided to try to um pick his brain about that i'm going to spend a lot of time with him so getting info is not going to be hard um i got about a month and a half to spend every day with him so um, how many units is it i think 20 25 okay Uh, rings a bell um it's in pace florida Okay. Growing area. Yep. So, but I mean, I, I didn't know if that was, you know, if you're still, I know you mentioned you're not sure what's going on with the market. So I was like, well, I'll see if he's interested. Not I'll get more information. I, I am. Um, you know, so I, I mentioned, Hey, I don't know what's going on with the market, which also means I put one of our properties up for what I would consider an outrageous number and we're under contract for it. So, um, so it's look looking like I'll know next week if um because uh, they're gonna go through their appraisal and then all that good stuff inspection, which I don't think is gonna have any issue. But um it looks like I'm gonna have a significant amount of money to to do something with. So um yeah. <laughs> if the numbers work out. So, you know, if the thing is if um I'd wanna know, you know location uh the t12 on it which is just the trail in 12 months is he managing himself or does he have a property yeah. he does well um, he had a property manager and he fired her because she was stealing money from him i think hmm. and i think ellie his wife is now managing it okay there was a couple that was managed i don't know we had talked much about it um the only reason i asked that is sometimes when they're managed by what's considered a mom and pop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the numbers aren't always as clear or kept up as a, say a professional property yeah. manager. So usually if it's professional, like all my properties are professionally property managed. If somebody wants the numbers, I can go, Hey, can you pull this report for me? And they'll have it, you know, like within a day or two. Um, that's the only reason I was asking just to, I gotcha. I'll, um, he, he, he's, he's, pretty dang smart so he she yeah. i would i would i would stamp whatever he gives you um but he he, he did mention he said man I'm, i don't know if i'll be able to give it away so i'm like okay well sure <laughs> um, well again it's it, it's it's what he considers giving it away um may be within my criteria right right so um let me ask you this okay. yeah whenever you're doing the and I'll, I'll get more info on that today. Um, see if I can get all that stuff. And um, he, uh, whenever you're doing the napkin math, you know, mm-hmm. so you look at a property, right? And I, and there's a several like apartment complexes that I think the numbers work on. Um, how do you, how do you like, you know, you say the one to 3% rule for cash flow, right? Does yeah. that apply to multifamily as well? On a napkin test? Yes. So let's just say, let's just take this for an example. Um, let's just use 20 units for easy math. Um, and he's getting, 
me quickly show my math inability. This is crazy because I I almost have a modern math, which is means nothing really. I couldn't figure out why the number two is valued at the number two, so I filled this one class. So I, I didn't honor, <coughs> so I changed I changed it to where I didn't have to worry about that. Um, but let's just say, for example, you know, the purchase price for this is, um, I don't know. I'm just going to spitball quick numbers is uh 500,000, right? And you've got 25 units. That means essentially you're paying, uh, $20,000 per unit. Is that right? It's close. It's close enough. I'm bringing up the calculator. I'm going to do this. <laughs> so 500,000 divided by 25 units. Yeah. 20,000 per unit. Right. And if he's getting $400 a month in rent, then there's your 2% rule. Does that make sense? So I always do the, this is, this is how I do it. And just let me know if I'm still doing it right. And I, I think okay. I am. I just want to make sure because I'm, you know, say like a 1.4, like I have one pulled up. Um, and I know you probably got it, got to run, so I won't keep you too much longer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so you're like 1.48, right? That's in, it's in Hueytown, which I know the area not very well, but I do know the area. Um, so this is what I do. One, right? So I do that, and then, I, you know, I, I shoot. I, I've been doing 1%. So should we, should we be doing 2%? It's... A, it's not necessarily you're trying to come up with an offer price just to see if it makes the numbers will make sense really. Um, so that's 14,000. And then and I look at the number of units. So we got 40 units and uh, then that's 350. So if I can get at least 350 a month, that makes sense in my brain. Is that it does typically. So typically, um, while a napkin test on a multifamily is good, usually what your um, your price is going to be is the NOI, so your net operating income, uh, calculated with the cap rate. And the cap rate is basically whatever properties are trading for that are in that area, right? And it's it's going to be... And it's, so it's kind of like golf, the lower the score, the better, the better for the the seller, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily for the buyer. Um, And, and, you know, usually, usually, and this is where I say, I don't understand what the market's doing, uh, especially in our area over over here is a two to 4% cap rate or two to 6% cap rate. Let me back up. I'm going to have to edit that out too. Take a minute. The two to two to 5% cap rate is probably going to be your class a neighborhoods and facilities. And then your class B is going to be, you know, 5% to 7%. Your class C is going to be 8% to 10% or, or sometimes 8% to 12%, depending on the, um, uh, how old the property is and that sort of thing. And then your class D's are going to be, you know, somewhere around 50%. 15 and above the, what I don't understand is going on is people are asking for getting higher cap rates for horrible properties. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that's where I don't understand it. And I'll make an offer on, 
hey, it's a class D property. I'll, here's, here's what things are trained for, for a class D. They're like, no, it, it has, you know, we're a couple of points off on the cap rate. So, and, and the funny thing is in our area, there's not enough that trade buy or sell to give you enough comps. So it's, it's one of those things that really is just agreed on price, but that's how most people come to it. So you take the NOI, the net operating income, divided by the cap rate, and that's how you typically get your agreed upon price. You just have to agree with the seller what the cap rate should be. But I typically do that napkin test just to see if we're in the same ballpark, right? And then you start diving in and seeing, okay, like he – Another thing, you know, unless he pays his wife to property manage it, when you look at the NOI, um, you won't have, you don't have property property management. Management in there. So you're going to have to, you know, look at that and calculate that in, um, you know, and, and then, you know, there's other things that come up. Is he getting the best insurance rates? Um, you know, are, are rents where they need to be? You know, when's the last time there was an increase? <coughs> who pays for utilities. There's a lot of different things that come in the, in the play. Cool, man. Um, but it sounds like, you know, worth exploring. Yeah, I love, I mean, I just, just trying to, it'd know. be a good exercise for me and you, right? I, I, I just want to go through it, man. Just, yeah. uh, cause you know, I, I'm a very systematic step one, step two, step three kind of guy. Just yeah. how I'm wired. Um, so I feel like my brain's all over the place right now. I, <laughs> I can go through one and just like, ah, it all makes sense. When you go through, when you go through one, it'll, it'll things will start clicking. They should for sure. <laughs> they should. They should. They, I mean, they, you know, you seem to, you portray yourself as a pretty smart guy. You, you they'll click. Uh, do I sound like a redneck on the podcast? Is that possible? You know, I, so I don't think I, so I was born and raised in Glencoe, Alabama, right? Which you probably don't know where that is, but it's, it's, it's north of Birmingham, about an hour, hour and a half. And I don't think I have a very much accent. Now, when I get around my parents and, and, uh, lifelong friends, it comes out, you know, it does. and, and my, uh, my wife is joking with me, probably if we were just had moved in together and she heard me talking to my parents and, and she's like, who was that? And I was like, my parents, she goes, no, who were you acting like? You know? And so I don't think, but I don't think I have an accent unless, and then I started picking up on it, but I don't think I have an accent unless I'm talking to them. And I was, uh, did this interview with, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Marty Nimco, who is a psychologist on, um, negotiation. Uh, it's a podcast come out sometime in a couple of weeks, but, um, Actually, it'll come out before this one. So anyway, he, the, the pre-call I had with him, he starts mocking me like now, you know, making fun of my accent, asking me how I like my cornbread, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, let me tell you about this place called top of the river. You know, they have the best cornbread <laughs> Go in there and you get, you get their uh, cornbread your uh, collard greens and your pickled onion. And I said, I'm done. I said, that's one of the best meals I've ever had. And uh, he just starts cracking up, you know, and he's like, well, I, I, he goes, you got kind of an accent. I said, really? Anyway, See, I don't think I do. And I just, I, I haven't heard the podcast yet. So when I get on, I'm like, my gosh, man. I don't know. I don't know if you're, um, 
Oh, if we'll make it on there, that's fine. I don't know. No, I don't know if your first one has aired yet. I've got to spend some. I actually got to spend some time today or this weekend to. Uh, today's not Saturday. <laughs> Unfortunately, I got to spend some time this weekend catching up on all that stuff, getting some things edited and, and uh, populated. I'll let you know when it comes out. Um, man, there was something else. The mastermind group. I could pay to get in there now. You got to do your first deal, man. Dang it. Got to do your first deal. I saw it go up. I was like, ah, I can just pay to get in. <laughs> no, you got to have some experience, right? Right. Um. No, that's, that's 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 understandable. You don't want just random. Hey, man, that's a pretty good response on the rootstock post. There, a lot of people think they yeah. like it. Yeah, uh, that's the power of that group, man. There's a lot of knowledgeable people in there that want to interact, which I love. It's, it's yeah, it gives you a little bit of uh, a huge level of confidence. Um, yeah. There's something in there get get a lot of honest opinions. And the group that we're talking about, let me do my plug. <laughs> Is real estate investing for the W two employee Facebook group, right? That's right. I'll make a link to that in the show notes. Man, um, <laughs> anyway. All right, brother. Well, um, I, I've got to run, but uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll message you if we come up with anything on the on the property info. And okay. uh, man, I've I've reached out to these guys on LoopNet on some of these properties uh, in Hueyton and Birmingham, and I have zero response, by the way. Um, so. I'm, I'm waiting on that. Maybe we can. I've texted one of them, their numbers on there, and I've called with no answer. Yeah. So that kind of is a bummer. But uh, we'll keep plugging away till it, it happens. happens. Yeah. So. All right, know. buddy. Well, you have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you uh, soon. Okay, man. Over now. Right.